Welcome back to Rise of the Young. On today's episode, we have Ryan Blair here with us. Ryan Blair is a serial entrepreneur who established his first company at age 21 and has since created and actively invested in multiple startups. As the former CEO of Visalis, he took the company from startup to more than $1.6 billion in cumulative sales and was named Ernst & Young's 2012 Entrepreneur of the Year. His first book, Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, was a number one New York Times bestseller. I've known Ryan Blair for the past three years, ever since I was 16 years old, and he actually has been on the podcast before. And I was super excited to bring him on for a second time to talk about what he is currently building with UltraCall, which is a, which is his new startup. And with that being said, if you do find this podcast valuable, or if you've been listening for quite some time, then please take a moment to share this episode with a friend. That is how we spread the message for this show. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review on iTunes if you are listening there. And that being said, enjoy the show with Ryan Blair. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. Today, we have Ryan Blair here with us for the second time on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Casey. So for those that don't know, Ryan, you've sold a company for almost $800 million and your entrepreneur career has just been amazing. I'm a huge fan of your books, Rock Bottom to Rock Star, and um, the first one going from gang member to multi-million dollar entrepreneur. But for those that don't know, I want to talk about your new movement called Alt Alter Call, excuse me, and what that means to you. Um, well, Alter Call is it's really two words, you know, alter and call. And it's derivative of altering your life to answer your calling, basically. And so it's a movement of entrepreneurs that are faith-based entrepreneurs, spiritual people that really see that the work that they do has a spiritual calling to it. And how they do that work in the marketplace is tricky when you're a spiritual individual yep. and you're competing in a marketplace, it's difficult because you know, the church doesn't teach you how to be an effective entrepreneur. And a lot of times in the marketplace, you have a lot of people that, you know, that aren't spiritually called. So you have to figure out how to recruit employees, create business partners, uh, you know, different relationships and so forth that are really connected to your calling and connected to that spirituality that you have deep down inside of you. And I remember the first time we talked on the podcast about a year ago, this was at the time, I know you said before, you didn't know what it was going to be yet. Yeah. And to see it come to life the way that you guys have built it has been incredible from the outside. I know that you guys have a lot of transformation days. I've been a part of a lot of the um, daily meditations. But for those watching, what does Ultra Call look like on the inside throughout these days? Um, what does it look like on the inside? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm building a brand new team. And this is a little bit different in, in that... I built companies before with revenue objectives to make investors money or make myself money. Yep. In this particular case, my objective is to serve. And so it's not as fast of a build as other builds that I've been involved in. And, you know, and, and it's much more intentional. And every little decision that you make is, you know, it, things do work or don't work based on the quality of your spiritual thinking. It's so like if I want to launch an initiative and it's not really thought through yep. um, and it's just to make money, it won't work. But if I launch something that's about service, about helping others, about you know, sir, you know, giving back, 
uh, it'll work. And so, you know, I've had to learn a new way of doing entrepreneurship where I'm really connected to my core spiritual values and every action and every decision that I make. Love so that. it's a, it's a different, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. Um, it's growing and you know, we're making a lot of progress. So I'm, I'm very happy about that, but it's, it's not something like, you know, I'm going to throw a million dollars at a problem and go <laughs> solve it. Yeah. Right. Very cool. I'm trying to help people heal, grow, elevate and transform. And transformation is a, it's a messy process. Yeah. Right. So I'm in a whole new business. Yeah. I mean, you've had many transformations throughout your career, and I want to take it back. I know when I first picked up your book, talking about your gang member days yeah. and what those mean to you, I'd love for you to take us back to yeah. how you originally became a gang member. You know, it's yeah. not every day you come across a multimillion-dollar entrepreneur that started off as a gang member. So what was your life back then? Well, my, my sister was involved uh, in, in a gang, and her best friend, Jennifer Jordan, was murdered in a drive-by shooting. And as a result of that, I was, I was forced into the gang and to retaliate. And I really loved Jennifer. She was my first kiss. And so I wanted to retaliate. And so I, I played certainly a role in it, but I was only 14 or so when I was forced in, I was jumped in. And it's a brutal process. You get, you know, the shit kicked out of you. And then these older men that were all 25, 30 years old, ask you if you want to remain a part of the gang. And and you basically say yes, because you're in fear of if you don't, they're yeah. going to continue beating you up and, and intimidating you and seeing it as an insult that you didn't want to join their gang. Right. So it's, um, you know, you're going to live a life in fear yeah. if you don't join. When you join, like prior to you joining the gang, were you aware of the gang activities going yeah. around you? There, it's all around you. There, there were, I, I just had a flashback of there's a time I was playing basketball at a park and, a, and an OG, one of the older guys came up, threw the ball out of my hand, threw me to the ground, asked me what gang I was from and, you know, and hovered over me. And this is, you know, you're 14 years old, like the age of my son. Right. Yeah. And you have a, you know, 30 year old man, fully grown, tough guy, you know, big dude, you know, trying to beat up 14, yeah. 15 year old kids. That's insane. Yeah. So was I, it a, were you living in fear during that time? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, anytime you saw a truckload, they, back in those days, people would jump in the back of trucks. Anytime you saw a truckload of people pulling through, you would you know, try to avoid the situation. Okay. And there were gang members all around school. And it was, it was iconicized at that time in our society, yeah. though. So gangs had permeated even the suburbs. They were everywhere. That's insane. Yeah. So you're 14. Are you someone, like, looking back, or is it like, hey, it's only a matter of time before I'm in the gang? Or was it something you consistently avoided and it was just that, that fear every single day? Like, is yeah. it something that you expect to get caught into the gang? Or what was the, the mindset? Yeah, it, it's weird. It's a good co question. The weird thing is you, you, know, you want the honor of them wanting you in the gang, right? Okay. right? So you, you want them to want you in the gang um, because that means you're cool. That means you're one of the... Uh, you know, the, yeah. the popular people, the in crowd in, in your neighborhood. And so you kind of want them to want you in the gang. You don't want them to not want you. You don't want them to be like, we don't want him, but yeah. we want this person. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, uh, and so th it is an interesting dance psychologically yeah. um, that, that a young child goes through. And particularly if you don't have a father figure in your life, you know, you're seeking that father figure in the individuals that are a part of your neighborhood. And the, you know, the older men, the OGs as they call them, they prey upon you in those situations. Like they want to, they want to get a young kid who's never been to jail to do the crimes that they would go to prison for mm -hmm. because you can get away with it. You're yeah. a first offender. 
Um, the police aren't going to pursue you the same way that they're going to pursue someone who's a hardened criminal. And so the youth are the ones that do most of the dirty work and most of the violence happens through the youth. Yeah. Insane. What was your biggest takeaway looking back (laughs) positive or negative just from being in the gang that you'd want to tell the audience? Biggest takeaway from being in the gang? Or like lesson? Well, I learned how to, um, uh, buy low and sell high. <laughs> yeah. I learned importing and exporting. <laughs> I learned, uh, I learned, uh, you know, how to trade and barter. Yeah. Um, I learned leadership, a lot of leadership techniques, very, you know, very militant driven system. Yeah. Right. You were in it. Was it something like you were a part of, and then one day you're like, Hey, I want to get out or cause you know, some people get sucked in and that's their life. And you decided to go a different route. Yeah. You know, what was, when was that transition point where you're like, hey, man, I need to get the hell out of here because if I don't, this will end up being my life? Yeah, that was it. Well, I, I remember I was in a juvenile hall and I was facing four years and that was basically the, the come to Jesus moment that I had. I, I saw an old man. I was in the juvenile section and when you're waiting to go to court in this courthouse, to have the adults on one side and the, the kids on the other. And there's, you know, big thick glass windows separating us. But I remember seeing the adults like looking in at us and I remember seeing a man that was pretty old and I thought to myself, like, I'm going to be him. And it was a reality check. Like I did not want to spend my whole life playing that game. And so I concocted a plan at that point that I was going to leverage my position in the gang and the people that worked for me to overthrow the leadership. Um, And I went in with a bunch of young kids and I paid a visit to, you know, some of the OGs and told them that I was going to leave under certain terms and I was out. And one of them didn't like it and he got hurt. Um, and then we went to the next person's house and let them know. And they, the other OG heard about this person getting hurt. And when we showed up with a hundred cars to this guy's house, he knew that, you know, he didn't want anything. A hundred cars. Yeah. I had a hundred people behind me. Wow. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're out of the gang. Yeah. I was out at that point. Um, and you know, then I, I did have to watch my back a bit because at, you know, once I was out certain people that were, that were the peewees that I was a part of, they wanted me, they wanted the people that used to work for me now wanted to retaliate against me because that was the way they could gain power. And now I became a target. And so it wasn't, it wasn't too bad, but I did have, you know, I did have to have some worries. And I still have people that, you know, are doing life sentences in prison. Like in fact, one just reached out today that's doing a life sentence. Um, no, today. Yeah, today. Got on the phone with one of our teammates, no Brian, way. who you and I mutually know, yeah. and was telling Brian all kinds of stuff and gave Brian his prison ID number and was no telling way. him yeah, all kinds of stuff. That's insane. Yeah. Like, looking back to, to this day, how long were you living in fear of that past? Especially, you know, you're starting businesses, you sold a business, and you start becoming successful. Yeah. I'm sure this was in the back of your mind. Like, hey, I got to continue to watch my back, but how long did that last? Well, I'll, I'll watch my back for the rest of my life because I've also come out publicly in, in the book, Nothing to yeah. Lose. I share that I was in a gang and I talk about the things that I had done. And, and so there's, you know, people that read that and my book's been read in prison. My book's been yeah. read all over the world. And there are people out there that, you know, they read it and they think they're going to try to take something from me. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and so that's part of my life to know that know that there are people out there that are not going to be happy with the fact that I made it out of that environment and they're going to be jealous of it. And so, you know, I I don't lose sleep at night about it. (laughs) You know, I I'm I'm blessed to be able to have uh, some security in my life. And I, 
you know, I'm, I'm a God driven man. And so I, I know that I'm protected yeah. at all times. Love that. Yeah. So you get out of the gang and you get into legal entrepreneurship, as you would say, what was your first venture and why did you start it? My first venture was a company called 24 seven tech. And I, I started it because I saw a problem with the complicated um, infrastructure around networking, network technology, computer failure, computers used to crash all the time back then. You lose your data yeah. constantly. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a pain. Our byline was, if your network's a wreck, call 24-7 tech. <laughs> and that. yeah, we advertised, we had radio commercials, and um, I built that business into about a million dollar business, but it wasn't scalable. And I, I wasn't the majority owner of it, and I wasn't the CEO. And I really wanted to become a CEO. So at about 21, I made the decision to sell my interest in 24-7 tech and become the CEO of a company called Sky Pipeline that I had bought for $15,000 on my credit card. You say bought, what was it that you were buying? I bought a um, couple customers and a small antenna in, okay. in Santa Barbara that served a couple customers. And then I ended up taking that antenna site. So basically I would put an antenna up on top of a mountain and then people that didn't have cable or, or broadband wireless, uh, I would market to them as a broadband wireless solution. Yep. And at that time, broadband was not ubiquitous. You couldn't get it in most homes. You have to pay thousands a month to get yeah. broadband. And so I offered a, an affordable alternative to broadband. And uh, I put one antenna, I, I bought one antenna with a couple of customers on it and then ended up spreading it uh, throughout every hilltop in the state of California wow. and ended up having thousands of customers and exited it when I was 24 years old in a 20 $5 million transaction. I raised a couple million dollars yeah. in venture capital to get there too. When you got to that point, like how did you learn the ropes during that venture of raising venture capital and then selling and getting acquired? I'm sure that was your first, like, wow, going through that whole process yeah. raising to selling, there was a lot to learn as soon as you finished that transaction. Yeah. But when you sold, what changed and where were you that day? Well, you know, the first part of your question, and this is something interesting for younger entrepreneurs. I, I got investors and board members that were way better than me. They were outside of my league. Yep. Some of the best venture capitalists, professionals in the telecom industry. Like I had the who's who sitting around my yeah. table and I was terrible and I hated being terrible. I hated not understanding finance. I hated not you know, I hated getting grilled in the boardroom and not being able to articulate my strategy, not even knowing what strategy meant. You know, it, yeah. I just, I hated that I wasn't the best CEO that they'd ever worked with. Yep. And these people were great CEOs themselves in many cases, and they'd worked with great CEOs. So I was outclassed by my board of directors and by my investors, and I wanted to do anything I could to bridge that gap. And so it bothered me that I was not. And so as opposed to, receiving their mentorship and their feedback and you know and and letting it discourage me i was like whatever whatever someone else knows i'm good enough to learn that and so point yep. me in the direction of a person that has the information that i need in order for me to be a good enough ceo to raise you know a million bucks and so like i wanted to raise a million dollars i had no idea how to do that no idea how to create a business plan no idea any of that stuff <laughs> but I knew that I could get in front of people and I could extract from them or get them to do the job. And that's probably what the gang taught me yeah. was like that I was capable of leading people and recruiting people for a cause. Yep. And so, you know, when I had a gap, like an information gap, I was like, I'm going to go fill that gap today. Yeah. 
And it was just that. It's all yeah. information gaps that people have. But what happens is they get their egos, they get, um, uh, they get hurt, their feelings get hurt. <laughs> like I do, I've invested in people and I've told them the truth about where they're at. Yep. And they're, they don't want to work with me anymore. They get upset. They talk to other investors. You know, they, they're discouraged. They go, yep. you know, they're not like, he said something smarter than me about this subject. And I'm the CEO. And next time I see him, I'm going to be smarter than him about this subject. Right? I'm going to yeah. win his approval because I'm going to utilize what he's teaching me to the best of my ability. And that's most CEOs, they don't do that. Most, most entrepreneurs don't do that. They, they get some tough love from their investors and it breaks them. Yep. That, wow. So when you had the, you know, the who's who around you, where did those relationships come from? You know, you go from gang member to now having this incredible board and having this yeah. company and then selling it. Where did you build this network to have the, the relationships to make that happen? Let's say we wanted to raise a million bucks here podcast right now, right? Yep. And let's say you and I were partners, yep. right? I'd say, get out your phone and put me on the phone with anybody that has an opportunity to, or the ability to invest a hundred thousand in this deal. And let's talk to them right now tonight. Got it. Right. Like I, I want every single person on that phone right now. Yeah. If I was your partner, yeah. I'd say, let's get out your phone. Cause you have, con let's say I don't yep. have these contacts and you do, you obviously know all kinds of great people. Yep. I'd say, I want you to make an introduction to me, to each and every single one of these people. And I'm gonna talk to them about what we're doing. And I'm gonna persuade them to join us. All right, every single one of yep. them. And I would not, and I would take, I would not stop until I got the job done. All right. Um, because I, I, I know there's other guys out there doing it that are no smarter than me. Yeah. Right. And so like, I'm not going to look at somebody else doing it that has, there's no reason why this person is better than me. And I'm not going to make excuses. Like I don't have the contacts, let's say if, in yep. this particular case, but I'm, I know somebody who does. And so now all I have to do is get that person aligned with my vision, give them a piece of equity, get them to take a stake in me, whatever it is. So that way I can then get them to bring the contacts to the table and I can talk to them about how I'm going to, you know, that. do the deal. Right. Yep. There's no excuses. Love that. Yeah. No, there is <laughs> a lot right there. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. Especially I know you're raising money and, and you know, you have all of these contacts, yeah. right? But sometimes you just need to have somebody else that's going to help you activate those contacts. Yeah. Like it's hard for you to do it yourself totally. because you built rapport and a relationship with them, but you might need somebody else as a partner of yours or a board member of yours that can help ask for that order, right? Help yep. ask for that investment. And so that's what I did with my board members and my investors. And I, I basically started with one person <laughs> who expressed an interest and then worked my way through his network and then through other people's individual networks until I had, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars yep. in, in venture capital raised behind me. Love that. Not through Skype, through a variety of yeah. ventures, yeah. but that all started with me just sitting down with the person who said, I know some people that would like to invest in this. Yep. You need to do X, X, and Y for them to even listen to you. And I was like, okay, what do we need to do to do that? Well, you're going to need a business plan. You're going to need a financial model. You're going to need an attorney. Great. Do you know someone who can do a business plan, who can do a financial <laughs> model? And, and do you know any attorneys? Yeah. And he said, yes. And I said, put him on the phone with me. Love that. And I convinced the person to do the business plan at a fraction of the price. I convinced the person to do the financial model. I convinced uh, an attorney to join me for shares. And then I convinced the guy that put me on the phone with them to give me the cash to pay for those people. That's how Sky Pipeline got his funding. That's so epic. <laughs> yeah. And I was 20. I had braces on. I was yeah. 21 years old. I had braces and I had no idea. And I was just like, I'm, I'm doing, doing this. It. Yeah. So you sell that business and you know, you started it with your calling all these contacts and now having an exit. What changed in your life after that moment? Well, yeah, my ego was to the roof. Um, 
I sold it in a $25 million deal, which looks good on paper, but yeah. it was a long-term stock deal. And I ended up getting you know, some cash out of it later on, but my investors made most of the money. And so I took all the money that I had and I'd, I'd probably had a couple hundred grand to my name at that time. And I blew it on bottle service <laughs> and playmates and, and uh, acting like I was a $25 million man. Yeah. And then went broke. And out of, as a result of being broke, I then um, you know, got humble. And then a couple opportunities came to me and, and uh, I started a software company, a social media company early on in 2004 called Path Connect, which led yep. me to then create a company called Visalis or be a part of the co-founding team there. Um, and then Path Connect went on to be its own software company and ended up doing quite well in a variety of different, um, basically Path Connect became code that other companies licensed yep. in their platforms. And then Visalis became a, uh, global, you know, the world's largest weight loss company. And it was a global company that, that, um, you know, I grew into hundred million dollar a year profitable business. I, I did 630 million a year in sales and a hundred wow. million in profit. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cool. Solid. <laughs> I'll tell guys to come up to it again because it stopped. So Vaisalis, grow to an $800 million business. What was that journey like? You know, you say you come on board with the founding team. What was the goal back then and how did it get to that point? Um, well, when I, when I first took it over, um, it was just a small company doing about 20,000 a month in sales. And I scaled to 65 million a month in sales. And my goal was, you know, I knew the market, I knew that there were other companies out there that were, significant that had built large revenue base and large profitability. Yep. So I knew someone else was doing this and I knew that those people were no better than me and that I was going to figure out how to do it. And I spent many years with my co-founders and, and we developed and created a great team and, and recruited a great team. And from that, you know, that team, we were able to capture that opportunity that was in the marketplace. And, um, and so what was it like? I was the CEO of that company for 12 years. Most of them were great. Toward the end, it really sucked. Um, after I sold it, I lost a lot of the motivation that I had, and um, and the process of selling it took a bit of the bit of the soul out of the business. Yeah, and How little, so? um, you know, I became a publicly traded company, a publicly traded CEO, and um, and I, you know, I let that get to my head. My ego got huge again. Uh, I was partying like a rock star, man. I was, you know, on, a, pri book. Yeah, I was <laughs> on a private jet all the time. And, you know, I, I had so much money. I was making so much money that, you know, all kinds of things. Like, I would just be like, I want to go, you know, to Europe for, because I had a team in Europe. So I could yeah. go spend weeks in Europe and yeah. then I'd be spending weeks here and then weeks there. And, you know, and so. This towards the end or after acquisition? Uh, it was, you know, leading up into the acquisition and then after the yeah. acquisition. During this time, how are you 
were you afraid of where your ego was going? Like you said, or what was your mindset then? Was yeah. it the top of the world? Everything's great. Or, yeah. you know, looking back, you have two different perspectives on it. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, your the goal is to direct your ego and to be above your ego. And I was not, my ego was like, it was, it was doing all the thinking, you know, I'd wake up and want to buy a new car, wake up, want to buy new watches, wake up and want to do something silly. Yeah. You know, I'd spend tons of money in marketing campaigns and tons of money in different initiatives, buy a jet, for example. And, you know, like there's no rational yeah. uh, reason. And so in, in retrospect, that was my ego doing all of that. And I now look at the world through a whole different lens. Like as opposed to buying a jet, I ask myself, how many lives could I save with that amount of money? Because you can actually save yeah. lives, you know? And, and so now I'm really moved by the metric of saving yeah. lives. After that sale, after that sale, where was your mind after you, you know, switched perspectives now looking at how can I impact lives? Was there a point that made you think differently about your life and how you wanted to live it? Or what was it? Um, my mother passed away. I, I just said, I'm done with that old, my old life. I, my mom fell down a flight of stairs. She was in a coma for two years. By grace of God and a miracle, she woke up. And I got to spend some time with her. And so during that time, it was a real struggle. You know, I would, I would build my business and then I would self-medicate, um, you know, to try to kind of mask the pain. And then I go see her and then I build my business. And it was just this, mm -hmm. this cycle that wasn't getting me anywhere. And I started injuring myself in weird ways. And my son had autism and it was, it was a difficult time. So just during that process, you know, I knew that, that, you know, there was definitely something missing. And, you know, I really, um, you know, I, I wasn't happy. Like I was happy to achieve something. I'd achieve it. And then I'd be like just miserable than like the next day after that, that dose of yeah. adrenaline wore off from the accomplishment. I'd be like, all right, what's next? And I, I wasn't very happy. Where does your happiness come from nowadays? Um, well, my son, my relationship with him is so beautiful. Uh, mentoring and teaching people. You know, I, I have the, the privilege of working with, you know, a new team and, and they're, they're great students. And so I get to teach them a lot of the wisdom that I've learned mm -hmm. and share with them, you know, yeah. my journey and teaching the, the, the tribe that we built at Altar Call. And, you know, my... You know, teaching is really where I derive my happiness. Like when I'm teaching, I'm happy. Like right now I'm happy, right? You know, yeah. I'm teaching. Love that. People always say, you know, money doesn't make you happy, right? And I'm sure there's tons of people watching this video today where it's like, if only yeah. I had more money to pay for my mom's house or pay the mortgage, whatever it is, like that would change everything. What's your thoughts on that about yeah. money and happiness and how those two go together? Yeah, well, one, you know, I... You have to overcome money before you can say, you know, that you have an understanding of it, right? Yeah. Like you have, to, you have to get above it. Money is a requirement in our society. And if, if you don't have enough of it, you know, you're in a disadvantage. Um, if you don't have enough money to pay for your health, that's a problem. My son who has health-related challenges, you know, he has private school. Like if I don't have enough money to pay for him, yeah. my son goes without. And that's a shame because everybody should be able to know what I know and be able to generate enough money to be able to take care of their family's health and take care of their food and take care of their shelter. And so money is important for you to master and to overcome. Much like getting above your ego, you need to get above money. Now, if you become ruled by money and you uh, idolize money, that's a problem too. That'll, you'll never be happy. 
if all if you care so much about money uh, and you want to accumulate more and more and more of it, the only reason why you would want to do that is because you have some sort of um, you know gigantic ego or, or repressed insecurity that that thing somehow yeah. solves. And so the reason why I want to make money now is is because I want to figure out how to save lives with it, and I want to you know I want to figure out how to create a, a metric around saving lives and 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 know that you know that if i generate the resources to save a million lives let's say um that i'll be able to do that and let's say a billion lives or yeah. two billion lives right so to me money is is um the resources that i seek now and that i pray for now are in order for me to be able to invent and experiment and iterate on things that are going to help uh humanity as a whole i love that when you say save lives can you tell me more about what you mean by that? Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's plenty of technologies out there that are life-saving. I've been involved in campaigns that have, um, that have provided meals to people in need, you know, hungry people. Um, I've been involved with different charities, Boys and Girls Club, variety of different initiatives that, that I've been involved in. Um, there's, there's plenty of technologies out there that are, that are life-saving technologies that, you know, that are emerging and that are, that are coming, um, you know, coming, becoming present now. Um, but so when I say save lives, I mean, you know, helping people have a better life, helping people um, operate outside of suffering and, and operate in a way where, you know, they're able to contribute and give back and save their life from being in a perpetual state of suffering. And that's really what Alter Call is doing is helping yep. people uh, go from a suffering lifestyle, which a lot of us are trained to be in. That's the culture that we live in. They say that's the entrepreneurial grind, right? To suffer, suffer, yeah. sacrifice, grind. And my job is to help people understand they create a relationship with money. They can get above money and they can get money working for them and they can generate money endlessly. It's everywhere all around you, right? And so, but you know, I, I've been able to master the idea of money generation and I did that really early on. And so now I can teach people how to do that from a different perspective. When, when was the moment where you overcame money? Was it hitting a certain number or was it just a realization in your mind? Uh, I was hitting refresh on, I had an app that told me every time my, um, my monthly sales went up yeah. and I would hit refresh every second and a thousand dollars would come in. And as I was hitting refresh and refresh, I was showing a friend every second, every second of the day, 24 hours a day. Yeah. It was just going, going, going. And it got to 65 million a month. And like we could be sitting here, we'd have a dinner. And by the yeah. end of dinner, I'd have an extra 500 grand in the bank. Yeah. And you'd be like, what? Yeah. Like, you know, at the end of dinner, you just yeah. had an extra 500,000 come through. Um, and so when I saw that I could build a machine that was scalable and that could generate money um, at that level yeah. to 65 million a month, um, I realized that I had the skills and the tools to, to create income. Um, at, a, at a massive level. I'd always had income generating capabilities, yep. but I knew that I had something bigger than, than, you know, than, yeah. than most people. Um, now, you know, that, that doesn't mean that I'll always be able to generate those levels of results in every initiative that I engage in, but I have that standard, that muscle. It's like, yeah. it's like if you've run a mile in seven minutes, yeah. right? Like, and you show normal. up and you're running a nine minute mile right now, you know, you kind of know how to get back to that seven yeah. minutes. Love that. Nowadays, spending your time with your son and with your team, 
what is your daily, not only daily routine, but I know, for example, walking in the house and sound healing and all these different yeah. ways that you live your life now. How do you balance that? And what does your day look like? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm at the stage now where I'm able to spend more time engaged with others. I, you know, when, when we first did our interview and for about two years, I had to really focus 100% on me, um, where I was meditating for hours per day and I was just focused on my own healing and my own uh, understanding of how my mind, body, and soul worked. And you become kind of, you get to a point where that becomes a selfish act or a greedy act because you've now gotten to a, a level of healing that you now have to help solve a problem and help heal <laughs> yeah. others. And so I've been making that transition from me spending hours upon hours on, on self-love and self-healing yeah. So now I'm able to spend a lot more time helping mentor and develop others. Um, and so my day, I still have a, a pretty strong ritual yeah. and, and uh, a strong healing practice that I perform on myself. That's meditation, breath work, eating correctly, exercise, yoga, sound healing. Um, I don't do all of those activities every single day, but in a work, I'll, uh, sorry, yeah. in a week, I'll, I'll do everything. Um, very cool. Time with my son, time with nature. I would say I spend about 50% of my time on my son and activities that recharge me. Mm -hmm. And I spend 50% of my time giving. Love that. As we come to the end of this interview, I want to talk on the current economy, you know, these last yeah. six months. How have you been impacted by the, not only the pandemic, but how the culture has shifted, whether yeah. that's people wearing masks and people not going out and that things are closed, just... What is your overall view on it and how have you adapted? Well, you're not allowed to leave the house yet, are you? <laughs> yeah, you haven't left in months. <laughs> I, haven't left, I haven't left the house yet. I, you've left that. You, oh, yeah, oh, I've you're, left. You're allowed to get out of the house? Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, know, I, I didn't know you're allowed to leave the house yet. I, I don't know. I got to think about that. Um, on, um, no, I, I have an environment in my house that I don't really have to leave very yeah. often. I'm, I'm pretty happy here. Um, but... How have I shifted? One, it's going to get a lot worse. It's going to be a disaster. This election, the amount of noise that's going to be uh, kicked up, the strange things that are going to occur, like the last election, is going to be 10 yeah. times worse. There's going to be an all-out spiritual war going down for the presidency of the United States of America. And that's going to be, um, it's going to be a ride, man. How has it impacted me on the business side? You know, my business... I went from doing live events to no events. My yeah. business took a huge hit. So I had to make some adjustments and I had to start from scratch all over again, basically. We yep. had to launch a brand new product and, um, and start from scratch. But since we were lucky in that we were only a few months old, so it wasn't like we had a tremendous amount invested in our existing infrastructure. We could yeah. make those change, changes and adjustments pretty quick. And, and I know that you know, I'll look back five years from now because I went through the, the recession and I built Vaisalis in the 2008 recession and I built a great company uh, during that time. So I know the work that I'm doing right now is going to be far more meaningful than it would have been. And it's harder work yeah. and I'm, I'm made for hard work. I'm made for more difficult environments. When it's okay. easy and everybody's winning, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't want to play in that game. I yeah. want to play in the game that's a difficult game. But I, I will tell you, you know, I have deep, deep concern for the macroeconomic situation that we're faced with. Right now, the world is drunk on stimulus money. 
And, yep. you know, people are spending it. They're buying watches. They're, you know, they're acting like, you know, nothing's happening. They're staying home. In some cases, people are paid more money not to work than they yep. are to work. And that's good when you're an entrepreneur because you can go get that money, right? And, it, and the distribution of the money to people yeah. that aren't smart with it is going to redistribute that money into the hands of entrepreneurs. So for as long as there is stimulus out there, I would be, you know, accumulating as much revenue as you possibly yep. can, knowing that the world's drunk. <laughs> and you should go accumulate as much yeah. of that as you can for a time when the world is not going to be drunk because stimulus money will not last forever. Yep. We're going to have inflation. We're going to have all kinds of weird economic things that are going to occur as a result of the restaurant industry collapsing and a variety of other major industries. You know, we don't even know how many foreclosures are going to be coming as a result yep. of um, the moratoriums that have been placed on evictions. We don't know what commercial real estate is going to look like, which is going to have a... Uh, a massive effect on banking. I mean, you know, right now, um, we basically got, uh, uh, you know, we got a bunch of stimulus money and we have, we have none, we have no data on what is really the economy going to look like, like yeah. very little. And, and then now we have this huge bubble in the stock market, which is going to burst. They always do. Yeah. We hit an all time high yesterday. Oh, yeah. That right? And that is ridiculous yeah. because if you look at the unemployment numbers and you look at everything economically, yeah. there's no reason why we should. People are buying Apple products like crazy with their stimulus money, right? I'm yeah. playing games and, yeah. you know, staying home and <laughs> buying, you know, Apple products, with my stimulus money. So money is being um, redistributed. Right, money was distributed to everyone, yep. and then everyone is going to have that money. Then go to these major multinational corporations, and you're going to see carnage in the streets for the small mom and pop entrepreneur. It's going to be ugly, yeah. yeah. And uh, but I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a battle-tested person. Yeah. So like, I look at that and I say, all right, I just want to be in position to you know provide my service and my value to the entrepreneurs that I serve when times get really tough, yeah. because right now. You know, they were tough for like a minute and the stimulus money started hitting everywhere and then it wasn't tough anymore because, you know, um, people are taking advantage of that stimulus. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, as we come to a close here, last question is, as you look into the future 20, 30 years, what do you want your life to be and why? You know, at 20, 30 years from now, let's say 30 years from now, I'll be 70. So I'll, I'll be about a third of the way through my life because I plan to take whatever life extension pills and technology yeah. that they have to offer. <laughs> um, I'll go back to college at that time. Like, I'll, I'll, yeah, wow. uh, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but no, my, um, what do I want my, my legacy to be? I, I want my son to learn early what I learned late. And I want him to do the best of his capacity. And, you know, I, I want people to see me as a father and I want to father many people on my entrepreneurial journey, meaning mentor a lot of people. And I already have had the privilege of working with people that have built their company to billions of dollars. And I've, I've mentored so many great entrepreneurs. And I'm just looking now, the first half of my career, the first 23 years, I had to figure out how to do it. And I did it. And now the second half of my career, I want to help others do it too. I love that. Well, for everyone watching, where is the best place for them to stay up to date with AlterCall and everything you have going on? Just go to AlterCall.com, A-L-T-E-R-C-A-L-L.com. Love it. Well, well, we'll have to do a round three in the next awesome. year. Let's go. Yeah, Thanks I love so much, it. Ryan. I love it. Thank you, Casey. Yep. Appreciate you.